Man, it is a great, great day. Can you believe, can you believe that we are already over halfway through September? That is nutty nutball, just crazyville, crazyville. This past summer, I was on kind of a, a vacation study break, hybrid time away, not preaching, working but not preaching, getting ready for series to come this year, taking a few days off here and there when a friend of mine called and said, Mac, let's go fishing in the Florida Keys. I was like, well, I can't do that because I, wait a minute, I'm not preaching. I'm on study break. I'm on vacation. Julie's going to be out of town. Color me there. I am all about it. Just spur of the moment trip to the Florida Keys. I have never in my life done anything like this. It was incredible. Got down there, went to one of our favorite restaurants there in Isla Morada, spent the night, and the next day he said, he goes, Mac, we're, we're going fishing, but we're going to do something that we've never done, that you have never done before. I know a guy who knows a spot that will absolutely knock your socks off. I was like, I'm in. You know, the keys, we're fishing. A bad day fishing beats a good day just about anywhere else. Let's go. And so we met the guide, Richard Black, at the dock about 7 o'clock. It wasn't crazy early. And, you know, in the Florida Keys, on one side is the Atlantic Ocean. The other side is the Gulf of Mexico. We went back into the back on the Gulf side, and we motored about 45 minutes when all of a sudden the guide threw the boat into neutral and just stopped. It looked to me like just a, a spot in the open water. And he goes, we're here. I was like, where? He goes, here. I said, all right. And he got out and, and started kind of chumming the water, throwing some bait out into the water to get some fish stirred up. And we weren't in very deep water. It was only about 14 foot of water. And my friend looked at me. And he goes, Mac, you're up. I said, okay. And they pulled out the biggest fishing rod I've ever seen in my life. It was huge. It had this massive, re it looked like something that you would use 60 miles offshore. We're within sight of land, 14 feet of water, and they pull out this huge rod and they get this, the, the harness around my belly button and stick it in my belly button and go, hang on. I'm like, all right. All of a sudden, you're like, oh. That's kind of cool. And this thing just started taking line. Couldn't see it, didn't know what it was, just some fish. Well, I know you're curious. I want to show you what was on the other end of that line. Here's a picture. Here's a picture. Now, on the right is a 350-pound bull shark. Bull sharks have more testosterone per body weight than any animal on planet Earth. They are mean as a snake. Over here on the left, that's a Goliath grouper. Goliath grouper. That one was about 250 pounds. As I was reeling it up off of the bottom of the ocean floor, another one came up underneath it and tried to eat it. I don't want to even know how big that one was. Now, I showed you those pictures not to brag. Because I've, okay, maybe a little, but 
I have never in my life had a day fishing like this. We pulled up four fish totaling over 600 pounds. For those of you scoring at home, that's 250 per fish. I mean, that's actually not true. It's 150 per fish. I'm a fisherman, what can you say? I'm a fisherman who doesn't do math. But it was an unbelievable experience. When I hooked into that Goliath grouper, I was like, it just kind of started taking weight and taking line. And, and when I set the hook, I went, boom. And I started trying to reel. It pulled back and almost pulled me into the water. Now, a Goliath grouper, you, you look at that, it looks like just a massive largemouth bass. And that's about what it is. But in the same water are these bull sharks swimming around. You don't want to go in that water. I told you that story because it was a lifetime experience for me personally. I've never had a day fishing like that. And it never would have happened if it had been up to me. I didn't know where these fish were. I, I didn't know that these fish were even in those waters. We had a guide, Richard Black. Richard is this amazing young guy down in the Florida Keys who has forgotten more about fishing than any of us will ever know combined. He is absolutely amazing. What looks like open water to you and me is the spot to Richard. Now, if you've ever spent any time with a fishing guide, you know that they are a special breed of cat. We all know about algorithms, right? Algorithms because of Facebook and Instagram, what they're gonna put in front of us and all that kind of stuff. Facebook and Instagram have nothing on the algorithms that fishing guides do minute by minute by minute. They're taking into account where the fish were yesterday. They're taking into account the high tide, the low tide, the falling tide, the rising tide the winds, the air pressure, the temperature of the water, the temperature of the air, everything going on around it, what the sun is doing, where the clouds are, how the light's hitting the water, and how it will affect every fish. Every minute of every day, they are algorithming, which is a good verb, by the way, they're algorithming their brains out. The guide makes all the difference. You and I, for the last few weeks, have kind of been climbing this mountain, the Bible for all it's worth. And we started at the base. We started with the foundation of how God gave us the Bible, how we got this gift of Scripture, that it is reliable historically. We, we, can, we can lean on it and don't have to back up intellectually to anybody on the planet when we quote Scripture, when we read the Bible, when we live by Scripture. And we've slowly but steadily been building up to the culmination of where we are today as we close out this series. And if you and I are really and truly to take the Bible for all it's worth, if we're really and truly going to get everything out of Scripture that God has put into it for us, then we are going to have to adopt the posture of a guide. You are to guide somebody biblically. I am to guide someone biblically, not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. 
If you're going to get everything out of the Bible that God has for you, then you have to be able to guide other people in biblical understanding, in biblical living. So I want you to turn to your neighbor with a smile on your face and Sunday enthusiasm. Tell them, get your guide on. Get your guide on. Guiding is where it's at. Now, some of you right now are privately panicking. You think, well, I'm not going to talk to you about the Bible. <laughs> Take care. Relax. You can guide in any number of ways. You can guide in your own home. You can guide with friends. As you read Scripture, you can share with people insights that God gives to you. You, you ought to compare and contrast to see if you're on track. Because as we've talked about, we really have the capacity, don't we, to get up in our own minds sometimes. And our, our own thoughts, our own feelings sometimes can be deceiving. But it's when we're with other people, when we're in community, whether it's in a home, in a family, or in a church family, that we are actually growing spiritually. And part of that growth is the ability to guide others. Some of you guide by serving in LHC kids. You're helping two-year-olds, three-year-olds discover the unconditional love of God and, and begin to learn scripture and begin to learn that they can build their lives around this in a way that will shape them forever. That is a massive, massive ministry. In 1935, a business trip gone very, very bad laid the foundation for something profoundly, profoundly good. Bill Wills was a Brooklyn stockbroker who had traveled to Akron, Ohio for a shareholders meeting. A shareholders meeting and a proxy fight that had significant financial implications for him. Well, the day of the vote did not go his way. And that night, as he was in his Akron hotel, he was struggling not to sabotage his own sobriety and walk into the hotel bar and drown his despair and his disappointment at the day's results. And it was there in this Akron hotel that this guy named Bill picked up the phone and looked in the phone book and called a local church and asked to speak to the pastor. He said, I'm in town and I'm doing everything I can to not get drunk tonight. Can you help me? This pastor put him in touch with a member of his congregation who was a physician, as a matter of fact, a physician that the pastor knew was also struggling with alcoholism. And he said, why don't you talk to Bob? Bob, who is now famously known as Dr. Bob, agreed to meet with Bill. And there in Akron, Ohio, these two alcoholics came together and they they shared their stories. They shared their struggles. And together that night, they faced down their demons and did not drink. And that seemingly chance encounter became the basis for what you and I now know as Alcoholics Anonymous. These two men who came together struggling. Bill had already been through four different inpatient treatments to detox, to purge his system of the alcohol that he craved. And he didn't want to go through it again. And when he got through that night, he and Dr. Bob looked at each other and said, I think we may be on to something here. And they began what you and I now know as Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, Alcoholics Anonymous is kind of a household name now. It's where 
we've gotten the 12 steps for addicts of a lot of different kinds. But there is embedded in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and other addiction programs an immutable, beautiful spiritual law that, that we need to tease out for, what we can, for where we can use it in ways that transcend addiction. I want to just real quickly, let's go through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're going to do this very quickly, but I want to do it for a reason on the way somewhere. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You and I would call that power Jesus. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. Number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another person the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Number seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Number eight, we made a list of all people we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine, we made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Number 10, we continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And number 11, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Now, that is a powerful, powerful list. But if you'll notice, we've only read 11. Because the 12th step of the 12 steps is where the magic actually happens. Look at number 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to other alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. It is only when number 12 takes place that the other 11 fully work and function. It is only when you become a guide through Alcoholics Anonymous that the first 11 steps then begin to take root. And this is the powerful precept of the 12th step. The principle of the 12th step is this. And again, like I said, this transcends addiction. This goes to anything in life, particularly, particularly when we're talking about spiritual growth, when we're talking about coming to know God more personally and more intimately, not just knowing about him, but knowing him. And the principle of the 12th step is this. Whenever you want to get something out of something, pour in to someone. Whenever you want to get something out of something, pour in to someone. That is how you get the most out of anything in life, particularly Scripture. If you want to get the most out of the Bible that God has put in there, guide other people. Lead other people spiritually. And to do that, you got to know what the Word says. You have to make it a part of your life. This is what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae, to you and me in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Watch this. The Bible says, let the message about Christ, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. 
Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness, all of its power, all of its beauty, all of its depth, fill your life. Listen, nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing Nothing will ever move your life like the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel never gets old. The gospel never is emptied of its power. The gospel always has more to it than we can get to. Because we're talking about an infinite God who has communicated to very finite people. And so let this message of Christ, this good news, and all of its richness fill your life. Fill your life. Don't raise your hand to this question. This is a rhetorical question. Have you ever tried to fill your life with something other than God? Have you ever thought to yourself, if I could just make X number of dollars a year, if I could just marry that guy, or maybe if I could just marry a guy, if I could just do this, then I would be happy. It is only in a relationship with Christ that our lives are filled, that our lives are complete. Now, within the context of a relationship with Christ, everything has meaning. Everything has significance. Everything matters. But it is only in the context of a relationship with Christ. So let the richness of this message about Christ fill your lives. How, does he, how do we do that? Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. How do you let this richness fill your life? Teach and counsel each other. Help a brother out. That means that you are guiding someone somewhere. It means that that you are taking in the word of God and you're letting it flow out of your life. Teaching counsel with all of the wisdom that he gives. Now, this is a principle that was not invented with AA. This is a principle that is part of how God has wired up this world. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Again, this principle is spiritual before it's ever physical or material or financial. This is a spiritual law. If you live your life from a posture of giving, you will live in the fullness of the life that is truly life. See, this is where a lot of times we get in trouble as followers of Christ. We think, I'm going to learn the Bible 
And we get really, really serious about learning the Bible, which, by the way, learning the Bible is a good thing, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand me. But have you ever known a Christian who was just so serious about learning the Bible that they were no fun to be around? Have you ever been around somebody like that? It is a doggy downer. The reason that we can get like that is because we start to live as reservoirs and not rivers. It's where we say, what can I get out of the Bible? What can I learn? What can I take in, not for the purposes of guiding other people and being a blessing to others, but for me, myself, and I? And when that happens, when that happens, we turn inward. We, we, we grow in on ourselves. We become self-obsessed. Again, Bible study is a good thing. I am a fan of Bible study, but remember, we are moving toward hopefully and prayerfully becoming a guide for other people. This is what Jesus meant when he said, if you give, you will get back more than you ever imagined. I remember one time we went on a mission trip to Haiti. We took a group. This was not that long ago when, when going to Haiti was not as perilous as it is now. And I'll never forget, as we were debriefing the trip, one of the students who was on the trip got very emotional talking about what it was like and, and pouring into the lives of these orphans in Haiti and being there and, and just loving on them and playing for the week and teaching vacation Bible school Bible stories. And this student, as, as she got very emotional, she, she started to cry and she said, I realized I got more out of it than they did. And, you know, as, as a dad, as a pastor, I remember thinking, bless her heart, she, she's, she's getting it. And somebody in the group, somebody in the group said, well, if they got, if you got more out of it than they got, you're doing it wrong. And I just thought, no, no. Don't, don't do that. This, this is part of how God has wired this thing. This is a gift that God is giving to this student right now. Don't over-spiritualize it and ruin the moment. And I, I didn't say that in front of everybody, but inside I was going, mm, come here. <laughs> just, just, ooh. But later on, I, I made it a point to just go talk to that student and say, hey, just by the way, if you're getting more out of it than you're giving, that means you're doing it just right. Go for it. I don't know if she bought it, but I know that's what Jesus said. I didn't make that up. We can so easily hyper-spiritualize things, trying to sound deep, and we miss the truth of what God has given us biblically. So how do, you, how do you become a guide? If we are supposed to teach and counsel each other, how do you do it? Number one, consume in community. 
Consume scripture in community. This is why Bible studies or groups are so important that you're around other people. You need to be around other people who have been farther than you in scripture and with God and also people who haven't been as far as you. There's this incredible miracle and mystery that happens in the family of faith. It is this spiritual and chronological intergenerational gumbo that God in his supernatural grace mixes together and allows us to be around people that know more than we know, but also allows us to guide people who haven't maybe been as far as we have. So we, we consume in community. If you're not in a Bible study or in a group, this is the time, baby. This is the time. Make it a point. And, and I think it's important to remember this too. We need connectivity. We're, we're all familiar with oxytocin, the, the chemical in our brains that, you know, it's, the, it's called the cuddle hormone. When you hug somebody, your body releases oxytocin. Well, there's something else that happens with oxytocin. Our pituitary glands also release oxytocin when we're stressed. And that oxytocin that is released when we're stressed drives us to be around other people. It's that need for connectivity. It's that need to lock eyes with another human being. That's why there's something about being in the room with other people, whether it's at church, whether it's having a meal, whatever it may be, God has wired us up physiologically and spiritually to need this connectivity. Now, that doesn't mean that we cuddle with everybody at church. Please don't. But it means that we need connectivity. This. Phones, screens, online, they are a great, great supplement. But they're a terrible substitute for real interactivity. So, so consume in community. Be in community with other people. That means it's going to take a priority. It's going to take a commitment of time to make that happen. But it is worth it when we consume in community. Number two, explore to explain. Explore scripture to explain it to other people. Researchers call this the protege effect. When you study something, when you go into something to learn it for the purposes of teaching it to someone else, you learn it better. You learn it better. There's a little thing called the platypus effect, the plastic platypus. I got a little picture of this. Now, this is somebody working on a math problem. I don't even understand what that drawing is. It doesn't matter. But you see that little plastic platypus? Researchers have given subjects plastic inanimate objects for the purposes of working on a math problem, trying to be able to explain it to the plastic platypus. And when you try to explain it to a plastic platypus, you learn it better than if you're learning it just to get the answer right and move on. There's something about exploring Scripture 
for the purposes of being able to explain it to other people. The greatest biblical communicator that I know of on the planet, and I know a lot. I've got an internet connection, and I know a lot of preachers. The greatest biblical communicator that I know is my wife, Julie Richard. There is nobody that can touch her, spiritually or physically. My point is this. <laughs> Julie is so good with Scripture because she is first and foremost a teacher of children. She teaches kids. Einstein is very famously said to have said, unless you can explain something to a six-year-old, you don't understand it. Now, there's some debate about whether or not he actually said it, but that works. The platypus effect. It's this idea that you're exploring the Bible. When you read the Bible, read it with a goal to guide, to be able to share it with somebody else, to counsel and teach so that the richness of this message of Christ can fill your life. Explore to explain. And then number three, seek to serve. Seek to serve. I have to confess something to you. When I was in seminary, more than once, I raised my hand to prove to the professor and show the classroom that I had done the homework. Have you ever done that? You ever like, I just, I just need to dazzle you for a second. I did that. And there was one professor in particular who stopped me on my way out of class one day and he said, hey Mac, I'd love for you to participate in the classroom, but you don't have to prove to me that you did the homework. You see, in that particular setting, a long, 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 long time ago, I wasn't trying to serve. I was trying to show off. I, I was trying to, trying to impress the classroom and the professor. But when you seek to serve with Scripture, that's when you have the posture of a guide. That's... That's when you're there for their experience on the water, not your own. You're there to serve them. And when you seek to serve, that's when you're really and truly giving. You're, you're helping. You're, you're guiding. 2 Timothy 3.16, I think, is the perfect place for this to all come back to roost for this series. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking and correcting, but also training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed, divinely inspired, so that the servant is equipped, so that we're ready to go. We're, we're, we're good to go. We're, we're good to guide at that point. 
And, and we said at the very beginning of the series, and I want to just remember as we, as we draw the curtain on this, there are hard parts of the Bible. There are. Things that are hard to understand. Some things that are hard to understand why they're in the Bible. If you don't admit that, you're not being honest with yourself or the people you're talking to. But when we get to those hard places, when, when, we, when we get to those places that can be confusing, just remember, every page of the Bible points us towards Christ. When in doubt, go to Jesus. We said the Old Testament was written as the Old Covenant this relationship between God and his people in preparation for the Messiah, the promised one of Israel. The New Testament, this new covenant that he ushered in, that he fulfills, is now explanation of living life in, in, this, in this relationship, in, in, in the richness, in the depth, in the power, and the beauty, and the strength, and the peace, and the wisdom that could only come from a loving God. John chapter one, verse 14. The Word, the Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling amongst us. He set up shop. He, he lives with us. And we've beheld his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? In this moment, if you have never stepped into a relationship with this Jesus, whether you're here in the room or you're online, as a church, we want to invite you to do that. To choose to believe, to trust Him for the forgiveness of sin, to trust Him to give you the life that is truly life. If that's where you are today, if you want to begin that, then we invite you to pray something like this. Just silently talk to him. And silently from your heart to his, say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so I confess my sin to you. I'm not holding any of it back. I'm not playing any games. I confess it all in order to receive all of your grace, your forgiveness. And I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me. That you died on the cross and that you rose again from the dead. Holding out to me the promise of a new life. And in this moment, I accept it. I take hold of that life. 
and by faith, I will follow you. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. If that was your prayer, then I want you to know something. There's nothing more important to us as a church family than this moment in your life. Nothing. And as a family, we want to help with, with what's next. And there are a couple of ways that we do that. One, if you're here in the room, as you exit today, would you just take a brief second and as you go by the hub outside, just stop and let somebody know. Just say, I prayed that prayer with Mac at the end of the message today. Nobody's gonna buttonhole you or show up at your doorstep unannounced or anything like that. We just wanna, we just wanna help with what's next. If you're online, let us know. Let our service hosts know on whatever platform you're watching or drop us a line on our website so that we can help with what's next. Second thing, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high in the air for a second as a statement, a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And know that as a family with you, we wanna help and we celebrate that. And as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.